Sorry, we were going through service there. Um, God changed a couple things on me, so (laughs) bear with me for a minute. So I want to start out with a little joke. Um, New pastor come to town, and uh, he's trying to find a post office. He sees a little boy sitting on the curb, and he says, hey, can you help me find a post office? I'm the new pastor in town. And he says, yeah, you go down the street two blocks and turn to the right. Pastor says, thank you. Why don't you come by church Sunday, and I'll show you how to get to heaven. The little boy says, you can't even find a post office. How are you going to get me to heaven? <laughs> so, um, like Mike said, today um, we'll be talking about um, Jonah. It's amazing to me how much of the Bible has to do with water. It seems like every time I look up something, there's some form of water either just occurred or is occurring at that point. Um, water from the rocks. We all know about the flood with Noah. Uh, parting of the Red Sea. Um, even Genesis 1 starts out with um, God speaking the word and the ocean come about. Um, the man um, in Second Kings, Naaman, was healed of leprosy through water um, in the cleansing pools, the woman at the well. <clears throat> they even say that 60% of us, our bodies are water. I could use a ringing out probably, but <laughs> um, 722 times in the Bible, water is mentioned. So let's go on a little flight. It's a whale of a tail. It goes from Joppa to Nineveh. In modern terminology, we'd say the flight takes off in Tel Aviv. <clears throat> That's where the airport is, and it's right near Jaffa. So from Tel Aviv to Mosul, you may have heard of this place in the news. It's where ISIS had their headquarters for years, and I believe they're still around that area. It's interesting to me that the story of Jonah is not an outdated story. <clears throat> if you uh, tell a Jewish, Jewish person today to go to Mosul, they'll hesitate. It's not a great area for Jews to be in. Jewish prophet um, Jonah is told to go to Mosul or Nineveh. Now, some of the prophets we have called major prophets, and some are called minor prophets. Jonah could be called the missing prophet. He's missing in action. He's gone AWOL. Some of the prophets are designated as pre-exilic, you know, before the exodus, and some are post-exilic, after the exile. I would put Jonah in a pathetic category of a kind of prophet. Here's a guy who says no to God when God gives him a mission. Another way to look at this is some of the prophets were called by God to go down south to preach. Others were sent up north to the northern kingdom called Israel. God called Jonah to go to the east, but he decided to go to the west. And we have every direction represented here in some faction or another. And some people would do just about anything to get out of the task or to evade their responsibility or to avoid their calling. It's always good to ask what God has gifted you for and called you to do, where your sweet spot in life will operate by the grace of God. And we should always say yes to that. 
Say yes to the opportunities before you. But for Jonah, the call of God, he hears it, but he says, I'll do anything except for go to Nineveh. So the book of Jonah is a short um, story. If you have read it, hopefully you've read it before this morning. Um, I did not read the whole thing. I did not read it, of course. Um, I figure most of you know it, and I encourage you to go back and read it today. It only has four chapters, 48 verses. 48 verses in the whole book. It's got 1,328 words in it. But it's significant enough to take us um, to where we're going. To look at the book of Jonah, the question comes, what kind of stories are we dealing with? Or story are we dealing with? Is it to be taken literally? How many people here believed it, the Jonah was actually swallowed by a big fish. Does anybody think it's a myth? Or maybe he was dreaming? Nobody? Good. Some would say that the story was a man on a boat had a dream. And this is the rendering of that dream. This guy, Jonah, and that none of it really happened. Others would call it an allegory, not literal, not mythological but simply an allegory. That is one thing, embolic, of something else. So Jonah is a symbol of the, the Jews. The whale is a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who swept Israel away in a storm and swallowed them up, a military so, uh, storm, and brought them into cap captivity. And the reason people have problems with the book of Jonah as well, have you read the book of Jonah? You're saying this really happened? I mean, I don't know if I can swallow this story. <laughs> it's just too deep for me. <laughs> and so you need to hear this evidence of why, <laughs> why it could be, and why I'll give you a little bit. Let's just cut to the chase here. This is what Jesus said um, in Matthew chapter 12. One day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miracle, a sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. <clears throat> in the heart of the earth, um, Nineveh will rise in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here if the story of Jonah is mythological or allegorical, if it's not literal, then Jesus Christ is a liar. The veracity of the words of Jesus are at stake. When we're dealing with the story of Jonah, Nineveh, according to Jesus' own words, he correlated and corroborated this historical figure named Jonah at the real place, real place named Nineveh and acknowledged a massive revival. 
By the way, we're dealing with the biggest revival known to man in that time era. Jesus acknowledged and compared the story of Jonah and the fish story with his own death and resurrection. If Jonah didn't happen, then we shouldn't believe in the death and resurrection happened because he correlated both of them so that just so, uh, sort of cuts to the chase. That's why I believe it's literal and it also is written in a simple narrative form like many other historical documents. Without sensation, just statements are made. So if you think about it, it will really help you overcome the big roadblock. I don't believe the roadblock is in Jonah, chapter 1, chapter 2, or chapter 3. I believe that the big roadblock is in Genesis. In Genesis 1 and 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. <clears throat> hey, let's see. If you can get over the, that, the rest is easy we're dealing with. The God who can speak universe into exi existence, galaxies into existence, God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. My goodness, get past that and the rest of the Bible can fall into place. There was a story written by um, a historian named Joseph Flavius. Joseph was very detailed. He wrote several volumes on the wars of the Jews, the history of the Jewish people, telling about battles and about movements in the great detail. And he wrote about the book of Jonah as a historical story that happened. So that is one source. Another so, um, Hebrew source is the fact that it is written in a straightforward narrative uh, form. But it is also the fact that Jesus said it happened. And he correlated it to his death and resurrection. There are four outlined chapters in the book of Jonah. Chapter 1, I would call... It's a running from God. Chapter 2, you'd call it a running to God. Chapter 3, a running with God. And chapter 4, a running with God. So we begin with running from God. Chapter 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, now we don't know much about Jonah, but we do know that he is from um, Gaff Hefner, Heifer. It's a town in Galilee region. The town today identified as Arabic, in Arabic term as El Nashid. El Nashid or Gaff Heifer is his hometown. It's just four miles northeast of the town of Nazareth. So next time you're in Israel, go check it out. <laughs> El Nashid um, and just see where Jonah's from. I'm pointing this out because there is an occasion in the Gospel of John when Jesus, Jesus is having a run-in with the Pharisees again. The Pharisees dispatch some uh, special officers to arrest Jesus. But they don't do it. They come back empty-handed. The chief priest says, why did you not bring him in? 
And all, all you can say is nobody spoke like this man. His sermon was awesome. They came up empty-handed and were amazed at what they heard. Even Nicodemus spoke up and said, you can't condemn him unless you've tried him. And they rebuked Nicodemus. And they said, are you taken in by this prophet as well? They said, search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Then we look at 2 Kings 14. If they had knew um, of the existence of this text, they would have said, they would not have said what they said. For indeed, a prophet did arise out of Galilee before Jesus of Nazareth. And that was Jonah. And by the way, Elijah, the Tishbite, was also in the Galilee region, a little to the east. The name Jonah translates to mean dove, which is embellic. Typically, a dove is very peaceful, docile, and even obedient. That really doesn't fit in at all with Jonah. It's a good name, but he didn't live up to his name. He lived the opposite of his name. You know, there are some people that they just don't fit their name. Imagine a legalistic church lady by the name of Grace. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, I wish you could get some, Grace. <laughs> you have a great name, but you don't live up to it. Then there are people who do live up to their name. Jonah and Dove doesn't quite fit. Because first the Lord said to him, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness. It has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian, um, ancient Assyrian Empire. It began when it was built by a guy by the name of Nimrod, who just happens to be the great-grandson of Noah. He built a city... It became an ancient superpower. The capital of it was Nineveh, one of the most powerful cities in the Middle East, sitting on the Tigris River, located about 220 miles north, northwest of the ancient city of Babylon. So today it would be in Iraq. Jonah had a mission. This mission was to go out and cry against Nineveh for their wickedness. They had come up beyond to the Lord. Now the message God would tell him, preach this message. You would think as a Jewish prophet who was an enemy of the Assyrians, it would be a message that he would love to go and tell them. The message gave, God gave him is this. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. It's going to be overturned. It's going to be overrun. He should have loved this, but Jonah, Mr. Dove man, arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He, want, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, which is about 2,500 miles west, about the width of the United States. And Nineveh was only 500 miles east. God says go east, but he goes west four times the, dis, the distance that God wanted him to go. He was really running. So he paid the fare, went down to the, with them to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. To me, it's mind-boggling that a prophet, let alone a follower of God, but especially a prophet, could imagine that you could escape the presence of the Lord. Like it is possible, can you go anywhere to flee the presence of the Lord? 
when Jonah was doing this thing, fleeing, there was already the book of Palm or Psalms. <laughs> um, we know that because in chapter two he quotes from the one of the great songs in Psalm one thirty nine, where the palm, the psalmist says, "Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If you ascend into heaven, you're there." Or if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I take my bed in there, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, you are there. I wonder what the name of the boat that Jonah got on. I don't know what it was called, but wouldn't it be funny if the name of the boat was Wings of the Morning? Just a fun thought. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall lay hold of me. And that is exactly what happens to Jonah in this story. When it says he fled the presence of the Lord, it means he's resigning. He's fleeing, pleasing the Lord. He's leaving, standing, he's leaving standing in God's presence. As a servant of the Lord, that's the idea behind it. Jonah is handing in his resignation. I quit the prophet gig. I want to be a non-prophet. <laughs> <clears throat> now, this is very different from other people in the Bible, um, where they eventually did it and quit trying to make excuses. Moses said, I can't speak. I'm not going to stand before the Pharaoh. I quit. But he went anyway. Eventually, Jeremiah was so fed up, he said, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to make mention of the Lord. I will quit speaking of him forever. But he could not stop. He said the word of the Lord was like a great fire inside of him, burning evermore, that he could not contain it. It was so powerful within me, I could not hold it back any longer. <clears throat> But Jonah got on a boat and left. Why a prophet whose whole job description is to hear from God and do what, says, what God says and follow through? You know, if you're a prophet, you're, going, you're waiting for a mission. And when God gives you a mission, you're going, wow, I finally get a mission. Let's see what I can do for the Lord. So it's like you're an astronaut. You train for outer space for years and years and years. But very few Astronauts actually go to outer, the outer space. So they train and train, and most of them never get called up. <clears throat> so then one day, you're an astronaut, and your supervisor comes in and says, you've been selected for the next manned mission to the moon. What would your response be? Yay! Or, no, I'm good. Would you say, no, if I go, I'll miss the next episode of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> By the way, I don't watch that show. <laughs> but jo uh, Jonah does say, um, I don't want to go. So he fled on a ship, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty storm on the sea that the ship was about to be broken up. You know, there are some people that simply hear God's voice and comply. They read the scripture and they go on to do what they heard. God gave them a mission and they go, yes, sir, right away. 
Young Samuel, the prophet, says, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. But then there are people that have, a hard, have harder heads, like Saul of Tarsus. Saul persecuted the church and tried to stamp out Christianity completely. So what got his attention? Getting knocked off his high horse. Literally hitting the ground and seeing a light from heaven. Being blinded until finally he says, uncle, I give up. I'll do it your way. Some people need greater means um, for God to get their attention. So in Proverbs 15, it says, harsh correction is for him who forsakes the way. Mark that verse, my friend. If you're hardening your heart against God, harsh correction is for him who forsakes the way. If God's still small voice is not enough for you, if God's word in the scripture is not enough for you, you may want to buy storm insurance. Just saying, something might be coming. God will pursue you because he loves you, and he knows what's best for you. And you running to Tarshish is not the best thing for you. In verse 5, the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. And he even threw the cargo off the ship into the sea to lighten the load. This was kind of amazing to me because fishermen are used to storms, so this must have been a real bad storm. I mean, you know, they go through on the sea all the time, so if there's a little storm or something, it's probably not that big of a big, big deal. But when they're really scared because of the storm, it had to be a big storm. But Jonah at this time had gone down in the lowest parts of the ship and laid down. He was fast asleep. What a contrast. You've got praying pagans versus a pouting prophet who was sleeping it off. The captain came to Jonah and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we should not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for who caused this trouble that has come, come upon us. So they cast lots. You think that's just superstition. But God was behind the lot, like the proverb says. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Are you surprised? <laughs> the issue here was between God and Jonah. Those were the two individuals at odds. But once Jonah got on their boat, now it's their problem too. Once you get around other people and attach yourself to other people, when you're disobedient, you will affect other people. It was just between God and Jonah until Jonah got on the boat. Once on their boat, it became part of their problem. Also see your disobedience affects other people. Remember Joshua, chapter 7, a guy named Achan who possessed a stolen Babylonian garment. It was a robe, and he took 200 coins of silver and a bar of gold weighing over a pound. He stole it and hid it in his tent, buried it in the ground. The children of Israel were defeated because of this disobedience, and he caused the death of 3,000 people in the camp of Israel. So they took him, his whole family, his wife, 
his sons, his daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his goats, even his tent and anything else that he had. They stoned him and burnt the bodies. This place still exists today. It's called the Valley of Trouble. They, they marked it with piling stones over everything that they have burnt. Probably the stones they used to stone everybody. But So when you drag others into your disobedience, it's problematic. So please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us, that your occupation, he's getting nailed. They said to him, people, what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So he's sort of witnessing to them, but very poorly at first. Then the, the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, but because he had told them when he bought his ticket to the boat. And then uh, in verse 5, it says that the mariners were afraid of the circumstances. But when we get to verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid now. They're afraid not of the circumstances, but they're afraid of the consequences. They're saying, in effect, you ticked off that God, Yahweh. We've heard about him. We've heard about the Red Sea. We've heard about Jericho. We've even heard about Canaan. He has a reputation. That's why they became exceedingly afraid. In other words, you bummed him out, and now you're on the boat. That's the implication and the problem. So they cast him overboard at his request. Then the raging sea grew uh, calm, and the crew members feared the Lord and offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to the Lord. Converted them. All he had to do is get thrown off the boat. <laughs> then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And Jonah was inside the fish. He prayed the same, to the same Lord he was fleeing from. Jonah said a prayer. Let's look at Jonah's prayer. Um, it's in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you 
in your holy temple. Those who wor worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with song of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Go to Nineveh. It took three days to visit Nineveh because of the size of the city. So on day one, Jonah started into the city preaching the message of repentance, or Nineveh will be no more in 40 days. The Ninevites believed God and declared a fast, and all of them, the young, the old, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his royal garments, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in the dust. Then the issue, he issued a proclamation that all the men, the beast, the herd, the flock, they do not eat or drink anything, but be covered in sackcloth and call urgently upon God. They all give up their evil ways, turn from their violence in hopes that God would turn from his anger and spare the nation. So God did not bring destruction upon them because they turned their back on God. But this angered Jonah greatly. He prayed, saying, O oh Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was still at home? <laughs> this is the whole reason for me to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God and slow to anger and abounding in love. So, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked Jonah, have you, have, have you any right to be angry? So Jonah went outside to the city, outside the city to see what would happen to the city. Then God made a vine grow to give Jonah shade from the hot sun. So Jonah was thankful for the shade, but the next morning the vine died, and Jonah wished for death again. And the Lord said, are you concerned about this vine? You didn't intend to? You didn't make it grow. It sprang up one day and died another. But you are so concerned with this vine. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Um, there was a... Um, I think I have it. Okay. Some people say that Jonah was uh, like a fake book, um, imaginary tale. Some people um, never look at history. So when we look at the, um, the book of Jonah, some in our enlightened day think that the story of fish swallowing a man is simply too amazing to believe. When you research history, it has happened more than once. In February 1891, the Star of the East was a whale hunting boat off the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic. It was pursuing a whale, and one of the boats got capsized. <clears throat> but the hunters went on to kill the whale. 
they feared that the two men who had, had drowned. James Bartley was one of the men who was missing. The fishermen and the crew um, um, prepared this tremendous task, preparing this giant whale, um, taking the blubber from the 80-foot-long, 80-ton fish. The next morning, they hoisted the belly of the fish up there, and they seen a faint movement. So they cut the fish open, and there was uh, James Bartley, unconscious, yet barely alive. They washed him in seawater and put him in the captain's quarters for two weeks. He was dazed, confused, and, you know, kind of out of it. <laughs> um, so four weeks later, he had completely recovered from this incident, alive and well. But he carried the scars of that day forever. His face, his hands, all any um, flesh was bleached white, whiter than snow because of the, astric gas, the gastric acid from the fish. It's happened another time. Um, so it's happened more than three times in history, but yet people still do not believe the book of Jonah. Has anybody here ever had any struggles? No? Has anyone here ever received a second chance from God? Jonah's story is not primarily about a big fish. It's about his struggles, um, his disobedience to God's word, his prayer life. It's about a story of a man who God gave a second chance to. Is there anyone here that could use a second chance today from God? If so, then this book is for you. And today, if you don't need a second chance from God, this book is for you too. Because the odds are, before this week is over, you too will need a second chance from God. Those that desire to see God move in the church must grasp this truth. We will never see the moving of God collectively until we experience it personally. Ultimately, we ignore the word that God speaks to our heart for two reasons. We don't like what God says or commands us to do. We ignore God's word even though God constantly tries to speak to our hearts and the heart of his people. God has spoken to your heart about any area in your life. Another reason we do not listen to God is we harbor hidden sins from our past. Have you ever tried to hide a sin? Maybe you did it years ago, but maybe you have not confessed it or tried to apologize for it. Instead, you hope you swept it under the rug or hide it in a closet. Maybe the sin was committed against a loved one or a friend, but the issue is this. You must address its spiritual impact on your relationship with God in order to move forward. Sometimes we decide to deliberately disobey God. Instead of listening, we willfully disobey. Disobedience is a gentle word for rebellion. For some reason, we have come to believe that God is willing to bargain with us over his commands. We tend to think it is reasonable for God to make exceptions to his rules 
at least compromised to some degree with his expectations of what's expected from us. Let us pray. Holy One of God, God of all creation, you call us to be your people, to carry your vision in this time and place, to go where you send us, to help welcome, welcome your amazing good news. As we're gathered here in your presence of the risen Christ, to spread the news, we ask that you fill us with our Holy Spirit. Fill us with your glorious spirit that we may share your good news with those around us. Amen.